that's the the genius of apple design is that they make you products which you don't really talk about in in like how good they are we just only talk about when they don't work as as well as they they should because we expect them that is what i i love about this company is the little things just the little things not the ooh ah big big bang announcement just the little stuff they do is so so much more exciting for me Hey everybody, I'm your host Stephen Pulverant and this is Hodinky Radio. This week, we're all about the Apple Watch. Uh, a couple weeks ago, Apple dropped two new Apple Watches, the Series 6 and the SE, and there's been plenty of digital ink spilled on them, tons of videos recorded, tons of podcasts, but we're going to give you one more thing. Uh, I wanted to go a little deeper here. I wanted to go behind the scenes, behind the spec sheets, and offer up some thoughts and opinions from the real experts. So. I had to enlist the help of some friends uh, and some folks in the industry uh, to be my guide here. The first one up is Alan Dye. He's Apple's VP of Human Interface Design, and he's the guy responsible for the team that designs all the watch faces and basically anything else that you use to interact with your Apple Watch. We talk about why Alan and his team are still really interested in analog old school horology and some of the challenges they face when trying to design watch face platforms instead of set in stone faces. It's a rare opportunity to get to speak with a senior executive at Apple and hopefully this gives you a nice peek behind the curtain. After that, I sit down with two other Hotinky Radio alums, John Gruber and Om Malik. They're both lovers of mechanical watches. They're both real longtime Apple experts, and I think they're uniquely suited to speak on the subject. Plus, I just like the guys. They're both really nice guys, really smart. And as you'll hear, uh, they're friends, and our, our conversation was quite lively. So we talk about Apple strategy. We talk about the hardware itself. Uh, we talk a little bit about the solo loop uh, watch bands and how to get them to fit right. I always make sure when I'm in Cupertino for the Big Apple events to make sure to get a coffee with these guys before I leave. Uh, it's kind of how I make sure I'm fully wrapping my head around the news. Since I couldn't do that this year, I figured I'd do it virtually and we'd record it so that all of you could sit in. So we got a lot to cover today. And without further ado, let's do this. Well, thanks so much for joining us, Alan. It's uh, it's good to see you remotely. I, I'm disappointed I don't get to join you at Apple Park this year, but uh, yeah, good to see you anyway. So good to see you as well, and thanks for having me on. Yeah, so uh, it's it's been what it's been about two weeks since uh, all the big news dropped at the the September event. Um, I think so far, response to everything seems seems to be pretty good. What uh, what kind of feedback have you been getting on your end? Yeah, it's all been very positive. You know, you know, we we. Um we keep a close eye on those things. Uh, we're, we're, we're busy thinking about what's next and working on what's next. But so far, you know, it's been lovely to, to hear such positive responses from everything from the, the updates, to the hardware to all the work we've been doing on, on watch OS seven. Uh, and especially a lot of the new faces I'm getting, I'm getting, uh, a lot of positive feedback 
I've got two two little ones at home who just got watches. Uh, they're they're a little more critical, but for the most part, uh, <laughs> fairly fairly positive. Is fairly that your positive. Uh, is that your like super secret focus group there? That's right. That's right. Um, we we give them M and M's as well. Uh, Perfect for, for positive comments. But no, they're they're they're, uh, they're loving it, and it's been it's been fun to see them uh, exploring Apple Watch for the first time. That's awesome. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, you mentioned like you're you're always working on the next thing, and you know, we we experience it at Hodinkee as well. And I think every company experiences this, which is by the time something goes out into the world, it's old news to you. Like it's news to everybody right. else, but it's right. old news to you and you're already working on the next thing. So I, I wonder, is, is there anything or any feedback you've gotten since uh, people were able to start interacting with, with watchOS 7 or the Series 6 that maybe you weren't anticipating? St- stuff that just like didn't didn't occur to you throughout the process, and now you're like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, I think that happens. That of course happens uh, uh, along the way. Um, I think oftentimes, you know, it it sort of takes our software going out into the world in order to to uncover some of these things, or even just notice different patterns or trends or ways that people actually use our products that. Then maybe we didn't anticipate. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one thing for certain, we understood. You know, in 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 such a great Apple sort of way, th- there was a team off thinking about hand washing quite quite a while ago, and um, quite a quite quite a few months ago, and they they had a real deep understanding of how we could better understand if someone was actually in the act of washing their hands mm-hmm. through. Through motion data, through maybe some through sound, and uh, you know, again, this wasn't feedback from customers per se, but uh, we we saw what was happening in the world, and we scrambled to come up with uh, a UI and an experience that would encourage users to wash their hands for twenty seconds. And I'm really proud of the work that we did there to sort of respond to some things that were happening in the world. Yeah, that's that must be a sort of unusual. I mean, everything about this year has been unusual, but that that yeah. must be a sort of unusual yeah. case for you and your team where instead of having, you know, years of sort of planning and development, a situation pops up that that calls for a real a real solution that your team has the the ability to solve. Can can you think have there ever been other instances like that where sort of midway through a development process, some new use case pops up that's sort of like mission critical uh, that you need to kind of do do quickly and and efficiently. Well, I think I think there are oftentimes you know p- part of the design process and part of making products dictates the fact that along the way we're going to discover different capabilities of you know our 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 products that are going to force us to think a bit differently about the design of our products, um, and so. Without a doubt, I think that's that's a, a very regular part of our process. You know, we're sure. constantly there's constantly a back and forth between all of our. T- I mean, that's the, the the great thing about I think about the, our process and the, the work that we do at Apple is this constant conversation between the various teams. And so we're you know we're constantly learning about what 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 capabilities we have, what we don't have, what's what seems to be working, what doesn't, and and we're allowed to kind of or we're able to then just sort of adjust from 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 there but i mean this is definitely one of those cases where i think the team there's no question we would have done it otherwise you know this is something the team had been after for a while 
but the timing really worked out quite well, and we 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 did hustle to get it in uh, for for this for this release because we knew how important it'd be. Yeah, for sure. Well, I, I mean, to look a little a little more big picture, I mean, from from my standpoint on the on the press side of things, the first question I get from from readers, from listeners, whatever, when a new a new Apple Watch comes out, or really any new update to to an existing watch is should I upgrade? Like, why why do I want to upgrade? What's my use case? Does this thing, if I'm an existing user, does this thing matter to me? And and I have my own my own thoughts. I've expressed them on on the site already. People can go check that out. But I'm curious from your your standpoint, if somebody goes from from an Apple Watch Series Five running WatchOS six to an Apple Watch Series six running WatchOS seven, what do you think are going to be the the biggest tangible changes? Uh, for them day to day, what what are the things that you would want to call out as reasons why people might want to take that leap? Well, of course, first and foremost, you know, one of the the things that we have built upon year after year is just the 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 health and wellness aspect of Apple Watch. So you know, the 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 blood oxygen uh, sensor is something that. You know, I, I I can't help but think it's important now and will be continue to be important into the future. We're really proud of the work we did across all of our ecosystem around sleep. Yeah. Uh, so I think that's a really compelling uh, part of part of Apple Watch. And of course, we're, we're also really proud of all the work that we've done with all the new faces. And 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 yeah. and you know, uh, obviously there's a, there's a wide variety of there, but we also know. Um, in so many ways, the watch face is at the core of the user experience on Apple Watch, you know. So, we put we put a lot of energy into the the new faces with Watch OS Seven, and 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 I think that's probably, you know, obviously first and foremost going to be the thing that people notice the most. Yeah, I, the new watch faces, you know, for me as as a watch person, uh, are are particularly interesting this time around. Um, I think we've seen this in the past, even even from day one. I mean, I remember at that first event, you know, six years ago now, um, you know, seeing some nods to traditional watchmaking in the first batch of watch faces. But I think this most recent batch might be the most the most overt in its references. Um, you know, things like the count up face referencing a, a dive bezel, things like the GMT face, which very clearly reference some some classic travel watches, the Rolex GMT being, right. being kind of most prevalent. Right. I wonder what's what's your thinking behind integrating these little nods to traditional watchmaking into the watch faces? Well, I mean, we've talked about this a little bit in the past, and it's it's been at the core of our process, like you mentioned, since the very beginning, right? Yeah. Traditional watches, or I could even say more broadly, Traditional ways of tracking the passage of time, yeah, have always had a big influence in our designs. Um, last year, we talked a lot about the solar dial. Yeah, uh, I think did. that's a really good example of this. Um, and you know, we've always so we've always had this. You know, we've always certainly been huge fans of traditional watches and have a huge respect for the design. And while we certainly embrace that history, we also want to do what we can only do on Apple Watch. Right. Right. So, you know, while we love, you know, and certainly our users love for us to kind of pull inspiration from from that that history, like like the Chronograph Pro or the GMT or the count up that you mentioned, uh, because of the information and the capability that they provide, and that that history dictates that that capability is an important thing for users, mm. um, whether you're a car enthusiast or a 
aviation expert. What, what we love to do is not just draw on that inspiration, but also through the capabilities of Apple Watch and the technology, go a whole lot further. And so we're only interested if we can do something that certainly a traditional mechanical watch can't do. So for example, you know, the new GMT face certainly allows for a whole bunch of personalization. Uh, it's, very, it's very easy to move between different you know, cities. And of course, the, um, you know, the, the, the dial itself even, even changes depending on uh, what city you've chosen and what time of year it is. So those are things you just couldn't do in the past, but we can do it because of the digital medium. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think that the GMT phase is a, is a really interesting one to me. And I, I think points to sort of a, a broader design choice that, that I wanted to ask you about, which is if we look at Apple in the sort of early days of iOS, you know, skeuomorphism was, was a huge, huge thing. I mean, you had like fake felt in Game Center. You had your notes app looked like a legal pad, all of those things. And Apple moved away into much more of a sort of flat layered transparency sort of style of, of design. And it seems to me like some of these new faces and and to some extent, Apple Watch faces in general have charted a middle ground here. Like they're not skeuomorphic, but they they do sort of simulate the idea of physical moving parts uh, in a way that maybe isn't what we've seen on on iOS and some other Apple platforms over, over the last couple of years. Is that something you landed on specifically because of the Apple Watch or is is it some other sort of motivation behind that? I think it's it's in this case it's very specific to Apple Watch. You know, we we you know, I think we consciously even early on we decided to have both digital faces and analog faces, which mm-hmm. seems probably in hindsight a small decision, but I think it was very important to us that we understand how people have become accustomed to telling time, right? So we 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 even have these these uh digital versions of analog hands. Right. Um, that we've stuck pretty consistently to and pretty rigorously, rigorously to the design of. Um, but at the same time, like I, I think it's important to remember that the watch is, is certainly a much more intimate product than we've, than we've ever made before. You wear it on your wrist. You have a connection to it that's, that's consistent and persistent throughout the day. I think early on, a big decision we made as a design team was also to have a physical crown. So from the very beginning, we wanted to establish the watch as an icon for hopefully the future of, of, of what a watch could be, but also reference back to the past. And so there, there are always these, these ways that we, you know, I think have, have tried to um, b- bring some of what makes a traditional watch a watch into Apple Watch, but also do it in a very digital way. So the digital crown is a great example where we understood that it could be such an important icon for the watch, but also play a very critical role in input because we, we knew we wanted to um, allow for a different type of input that didn't require your, 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 your finger always being on the display itself. So we've been, we've been, we've been obsessed with this for, for a while. And, and, and um, you know, while you know, I don't think we ever made a conscious decision, frankly, we, we never even talk about skeuomorphism or didn't, I don't. I don't even know if we knew the definition of that word until <laughs> iOS seven. Um, but but certainly we um, we we love this idea of blurring the the lines between software and hardware, and also you know paying respect to the the history of watchmaking. Yeah. No. That that all makes a ton of sense. Um, 
you know, in that in that answer, you know, you mentioned that that things are that the Apple Watch is more personal, and that's always been, I think, a part of how Apple has has communicated around the Apple Watch is that it's it's the most personal Apple device, and with that comes tons of personalization options. That's in every watch face. It's in you know kind of the infrastructure of of Watch OS as well. And with that, that that must come with some design challenges for you and your team because you're not building, you're not designing sort of discrete uh, objects. Right. You're designing systems, and they have to work in sort of an infinite number of configurations. And how does that change your approach as as a designer and as you know the leader of a design team when you're building, you're almost building building blocks instead of building a final a final object? Right, right. I mean. You know, luckily we have a we 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 have a team that has been thinking about systems and systems across ecosystems for quite a long time. Um, so, I think the the most important thing from a design perspective, and you're totally right to point this out, is it's one of the biggest challenges we've got, which is how do you continuously design, a, you know, a face, a series of faces, or a collection of faces, whereby each one can stand on its own, and yet, even within each one, you can have so many variations and customization options, but then how do you design them as a series that can kind of hang and live together comfortably? So a lot for us is it's about that rigor early on. So what were those choices we made from the very beginning around things like typography, you know, and, and, and or grid systems or line weight or how we draw icons? And so while we have evolved some of those things, We've actually taken great care to be very consistent in how we apply some of those just very basic core elements that make design design. To go back to type for a second, I think that's a great example of something where we initially drew a typeface uh, for legibility specifically for Apple Watch that eventually became the San Francisco font that we use in all of our products. Um, and we, we've introduced many versions of San Francisco because we want, to, we want that font to take on different characteristics and maybe even feel different. You can see that on the typograph face we just released. Um, but at the same time, the forms are very consistent from character to character. Even when we treat one with a serif and one without, um, they're, they're, they're cousins to one another. And this, all these things are very important to us so they can kind of hang together. I mean, it's it's also, I think it's striking that the the number of complications that one can fit into a given watch face has has increased over the years and that i wonder does does that come as as a is that a conscious decision to say okay users want more things on the surface immediately and so we're going to make it work for them or is that also to some extent a, a a sort of outcome of refining your own design process and finding elegant ways for these things to sort of fit and interact together or possibly both I think it's both, and it also comes to the consequence of some of the advances we've made in the display, uh, some of the advances we've made in the compute power. So mm -hmm. being able to run all these complications simultaneously, being able to just literally fit more on the display over the past few years has been uh, really, I mean, of course, we've, 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 we've thought about this for a long time as something we've anticipated, but uh, not only is it a challenge, but it's something we really look forward to. and. I think we've gotten better and better at the art of of displaying a, a, a very robust and rich and detailed amount of information, but in a very small space. So I think as designers, um, many of us with a history of graphic design, I think we can't help but 
really love those sorts of challenges. Yeah. And it's especially interesting when you get into describing data that maybe you wouldn't have seen uh, on a traditional watch, like something like AQI or the air quality index. You know, kind of following following that train of thought a little bit, um, are, were there times along the way or, or watch faces that were designed along the way where you maybe tried to pack too much in and you realize like, okay, this we've, we've now hit the upper limit. Like we, we now need to kind of scale back, peel back, reduce the number of options and like kind of build where the, the edges of that framework are? That's a great question. I mean, I'll say that uh, 99% of the work that we design as a studio uh, doesn't make it out into the world. <laughs> I think that's probably you know, not uncommon for, for any design team, but certainly for us, um, we're pretty rigorous about what gets out there. Uh, I don't know specifically that, 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 that that's ever happened. I mean, I keep hoping we can make the GMT dial fade over time if you happen to be in tropo- tropical <laughs> locations, but that's something we're still working on in terms of, uh, in terms of the, the, the software there. I'm, I'm, I'm half kidding. Um, but for the most part, you know, I think the, 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 the work that we do and the, and the really interesting thing about working as a studio is, yeah, there, there, there are times that there's a great deal of times that, that we make work, maybe even some really great work that we don't put out into the world or that doesn't make it. Um, and oftentimes what I've noticed over time and, and the real lovely thing is that that work find its ways, finds its way into something else or finds its yeah. way into a different product. And that's why the way that we work is so important. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for making the time. I know you're you're a busy man and it's good to get to chat remotely and hopefully things will clear up and soon enough I can come back out and see you, uh, see you at HQ. Would absolutely love that. Very much looking forward to that day. Yeah, same. Good to see you and stay in touch. Thanks, Alan. All right, bye now. Up next, we have my conversation with John Gruber and Om Malik. Hey, thanks so much for joining us, guys. Really appreciate you both uh, making time to hop on this call. Thank you, Stephen, for having us. Yeah, thank you. I think it's been, what, it's been about a year since we've had Ohm on the show, and I think about two years, I guess, since, uh, John, since we had you on for the Apple Watch Series 4 chat. Yeah, yeah, we talked about Series 4 when they changed the, the form factor slightly. Oh, yeah, yeah. Wow, it's crazy how forever ago that feels after uh, the 2020 we've been having. That feels like 10 years ago. <laughs> feels like we're talking about Palm Pilots. <laughs> Which, for the record, if we ever want to do a Palm Pilot episode, I am more than happy to uh, to host that conversation as well. <laughs> that would be a good one. <laughs> Is that an old man joke? I mean, you're not old enough to make those jokes, Stephen. <laughs> me i uh all right I'll, I'll fully date myself uh showing i'm not that old but uh i got a palm pilot my junior year of high school and i thought i was the coolest person in the entire world uh with my palm pilot in my like you know whatever ap government class or whatever i was doing back then uh thought i was very very cool knew how to write in graffiti it was uh it was a different 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 time my palm pilot and my my motorola razor you were definitely uh, ahead of your time. I'm not sure about the cool part, but it's okay. 
<laughs> I'll I'll take that coming from you, um. I'll uh, I'll 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 take that one. Um, cool. Well, we're we're here to chat mostly about Apple Watch. I'm sure we'll we'll touch on some other things, but uh, it was a couple weeks ago that Apple did their their usual big September event. Uh, except instead of it being a big event, it was a live stream. Uh, which I know, Ohm, you're you're a big fan of that, right? Doing the live stream instead of the big the big hoopla in Cupertino. Yeah, I you know I used to love going to Cupertino, but boy, it's uh, it's quite a hike, especially if you have to leave early in the morning, and uh, the barrier traffic didn't help. But I appreciate this, you know, a more democratic, more open-minded, you know, approach to events. You know, put the stream out, let people, you know, whether it's journalists, analysts, regular regular humans, get all the information at the same time and make their own conclusions. I And also it saves a lot of energy, just, you know, it's good for the planet if, you know, hundreds of people are not driving to Cupertino from San Francisco. Yeah, that's that's totally fair. Uh, I know, John, you, you expressed in your writing right after the event that one of the one of the downsides you saw to there not being a live event was that you know those of us in the press didn't get to get hands on with the products immediately, uh, so there was kind of a lot left left to the imagination for that you know couple day window between uh, the keynote and and when people could see see the products, right? Yeah, I think, and and I know that the word privilege gets tossed around very easily these days, and rightly so, but it, it is, and and it makes but but being locked in with this quarantine and having all of these events be virtual, it does remind me what a privilege it is to be in a position in the media where I get invited to these events and get to do things like uh, see all of the products hands-on afterwards. And that's always, it, it focused it for me because that's what I've always tried to do in my, like in the first 24 hours after one of these events is try to provide to my readers, the perspective that I got from this position of being there, whatever it is that I noticed. But, you know, the most obvious thing would be, what does it actually feel like to have these new watch bands on or something like that? In a way that all of Apple's presentation is all visual, you know, if if you can convey a sense of the feel of something or when we get into talking about the color of certain finishes, everybody knows that that stuff really matters what lighting you're in, you know, what, how does it compare? How dark is graphite steel? That sort of thing. And you just can't do that if it's all remote. And so there is something missing. I mean, there's something gained, I think, by not having to travel, but there's also clearly a, a lot that's lost. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree with both of you. I, um, I mean, it kind, kind of simultaneously. And for, for me, the thing I missed the most was getting to chat with other, other journalists, uh, be, being able to be in that big demo room. And while everyone's, you know, waiting because there's a limited amount of product and it's a whole kerfuffle and kind of a, a circus in some ways. But uh, getting to just have those little conversations with other people and get other people's first impressions, I always find I, I end up learning things and, and kind of discovering things that I hadn't picked up myself. Uh, and I, I missed that, I think, this, this go around. No, I don't deny any of those things. I just feel that at times for some of these events, just like that it's it's like you know you they gotta reserve these events for very special occasions not for feature upgrades 
And on top of that, they've done a good job of getting the products in the hands of journalists just right after the keynote or the day of the keynote. It's, I know at least for some of the the bigger uh, names in journalism, like, you know, John and, you know, what's his name, Marcus Lee, Marcus Brownlee and folks like that, they get the, you know, the, you know, the device in their hand. And yeah, you know, it's, it's, I don't think we get a lot of time with, with the products hands on, you know, when, even when you're there at the event, unless like you get into a special, uh, uh, you know, a briefing session with the team. I mean, and, and that's, that's again, only a privilege few get to that position. But like in general terms, I do feel that this more open democratic process is actually good for good, good to get the information out. I like, I like this approach. I'm on, I'm in minority yeah. maybe, <laughs> but I do miss seeing, no, no. I, I do miss seeing John. I mean, it's like probably the only time I get to see him <laughs> is at these events and otherwise, <laughs> uh, otherwise he's just a voice in my ear. And when I listen to his podcast, <laughs> Well, that's one of our techniques, Om, is that uh, I don't like if I do come out, I come out from Philadelphia, I'm an East Coaster. So if I do come out for a Cupertino event, I like to stay in San Francisco, where it's civilized and there's better places to eat than to actually stay <laughs> down in the Cupertino area. So yeah. I have often over the years hitched a ride with Ohm, and that makes that makes the Bay Area traffic better. We get to catch up on the ride to and fro. That is indeed yeah, true. For sure. Now, if you do live, if you do stay in Cupertino, I can tell you some of the best South Indian food is available in Cupertino in a place called <laughs> Sarvana Bhavan, which is probably as good as it gets outside of India. So there is some upside to it. All right. Well, I, I now have something to look forward to next year for my trip to Cupertino, hopefully, assuming next year uh, trips trips to Cupertino are happening. But uh yeah, I'm definitely oh, going to bother you for that uh, that recommendation again next year. That is not a problem <laughs> at all. You can bother me anytime you want. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Uh, I mean, Om, you you mentioned a minute ago that you know one of the reasons you thought not having a keynote, uh, a big you know in person event this year wasn't wasn't a problem is that you know this year, at least as far as Apple Watch is concerned, was mostly about about small upgrades, right? Like this this year was not the big change in form factor. It wasn't an always on display. It was really a bunch of pretty incremental upgrades, right? I wouldn't say they are, you know, incremental upgrades. They are upgrades. They are upgrades to features, but they were, they are pretty, you know, pretty impressive new, you know, new additions to the watch. I, I, but I don't think of it as like, oh, this is like, you know, sometimes when we went from, iPhone 3G to iPhone 4, my God, that was just like the way the device looked was very different. And so, it, you know, it was pretty exciting. And then we went from like, you know, from, from you know, iPhone, you know, 9 and 10 to like where we are now. Those are like substantial, you know, UX design, I mean, total, total look change. You know, that, would, that was fun to be like, you know, experiencing those devices firsthand. But this one, is I think it just is finally coming to a point where it was supposed to be. I, I, you know, I, I know John's not gonna like this, but you know, the I the the Apple Watch Four would have been the watch Steve would have been okay releasing, 
and this would be the Apple Watch Six would be the one, you know, he couldn't he wouldn't stop talking about. Like that's how I think about it. This one is actually, and I've been wearing it pretty much every day since I got it. Like you know, and and I was not wearing the earlier watches as much. This one just feels right. It does right. It's actually, believe it or not, delivering more in terms of, uh, you know, the city works better on it. The screen and the the power management is better. There are little things in this watch which just make it, oh yeah, finally it's working. Like it just, it just there is not very few annoyances with the with the watch right now. And I know I went a little bit off tangent, but <laughs> a little, just a little off. <laughs> I was but, I was going to be nice there, John. I was going to let him I have mean, it. I'm, can I I'm, just can I just jump in? I just want to jump in though. I think th- that the example that he just cited is worth noting. The iPhone, and I know it's it. The whole talking about iPhones when we're supposed to be talking about the watch is tangential. But going from the iPhone 3GS to the iPhone 4 was the perfect example of being there in person because the big change was going to Retina displays, right? And it was the first consumer device with a quote-unquote retina display. But that meant everybody at home was absorbing the news on something that's not a retina display. Whether you watched Apple's event or you went to their website afterwards and you're looking at photos of it or you went to the media and you're looking at the pictures that they have. How do you show a retina display on a non-retina display to convey what it's like. It's actually devilishly tricky, you know, and you can zoom in and show that if you have like a jeweler's loop, you can see that there's four pixels packed into the space where there used to be one. But you really need that subjective take, right? That That is the canonical example of, hey, what what is somebody who actually saw one in person think? And that to me is, is still... It, that's the the best example of it, but to me, it's still important, even for things like color or band feel and stuff like that. Yeah, no, I I, I think that's that's a really really good point, and and I think up until now, I think every year we've seen a watch where it's it's pretty substantially different from the one the year before. I mean, whether the general form factor is changing or not, but it's it's there's something to latch on to in person that you couldn't or wouldn't experience kind of virtually. Whereas this year it felt, and maybe it was just me adjusting my, my brain and my expectations, but it, it felt like if you, if you knew the series five, it was pretty easy to digest what was new about the series six without having to live with it for a few days. I mean, does it, did did you guys feel that way or is that just me? I think so. I, I thought that was definitely the case where, uh, you know, they've added one major new sensor, the blood oxygen level, indi- you know, sensor. The dis- the power management is better in a way where they can say it it charges faster, it lasts longer, and the always-on display is brighter in the always-on mode, meaning like, you know, the, the mode when it doesn't think you're staring at it. And that's it really at a technical level I don't, I don't think there's anything else even really to say yeah that's a pretty short list very easy to understand but that's not to say those are insignificant upgrades but it's very easy to describe versus the series five I you know the the other point to that John I find that this is much more tightly integrated with 
with the iPhone uh, and also the new iOS, you know, 14. I think there is just a little bit like everything just feels more cohesive and coherent and just seems to work much better compared to the previous version. Like the four and the five were like they left a lot to be desired, but this one just feels like, oh yeah, this is how it's supposed to work. And I think that's, I don't even know how to even, you know, say anything more than just that. This is how like, it, I don't feel that there is a missing piece right now. I would love for them to add a sensor so that they can measure blood pressure because you know i think that would be the last sensor i need from a from a health perspective to make this like a complete package yeah that's that's interesting i mean that's that's a sensor that i think we've seen a lot a lot of kind of like virtual ink spilled uh writing about and and the other thing people were asking for that we did get but in kind of a modified fashion is is sleep tracking um and we've got sleep tracking now but without a like substantially increased battery life um, and, and I wonder how you guys have found the process of attempting to sort of like, instead of charging your watch while you're sleeping, kind of like finding stopgap times to, to charge it. Have you found that experience to be pretty, pretty easy and pretty seamless? Or do you find yourself still wishing that it had, let's say, like, you know, two to three day battery life so that you didn't have to worry about it throughout the day? I, I definitely still wish that it did. I still find... And I think that coming as as a an aficionado of mechanical watches, coming from that world, and and when you're used to automatics, you you're used to some of the same mentality. You don't charge an automatic, but you do have to wind it and you have to wear it to keep it wound. And and you're used to oh, you know, this one has stopped. I've got to do something. I've got to set the time. So some of that mentality is the same. But then once you get in a groove of wearing an automatic, you just keep wearing it every day and you don't do anything. And it feels like a huge step backwards if you wear the watch every day that you still have to find time. I, I mean, I, I I get in a groove. I, the thing for me is I started sleep tracking like a year ago with the Series 5 before it was a feature of the OS. And there are third-party apps that would just mm. use the health sensors to do it. And they actually do a surprisingly good job. Um it, it. I was actually just talking to the developer of one of them, uh, David Smith, who's who has an app called Sleep Plus Plus, um, and like he said, and I think he's right that you. It's pretty easy for a developer to look at the health heuristics of your breathing and your heart rate and stuff like that. And uh, I guess heart rate. I guess it, the watch doesn't pick up your breathing, but just your your heart rate and pick up when you're asleep combined with motion. And any kind of app that tries to go deeper than that and tell you like, oh, you're in REM state two or three is that that's BS. They don't they can't do that. But they can tell you how long you sleep, what hours, and you can get trends. So I've gotten in the groove of charging my Apple Watch, you know, like during morning coffee and just sort mm -hmm. of knowing that I'm doing that, and it, it works pretty well. But you can't, you know, it, it honestly, it's it's funny. I find that it's an interesting, like when I get in the groove of wearing an Apple Watch, and I typically do it all weekdays long and maybe wear other watches on weekends. But it, in the coronavirus quarantine, it sort of promotes daily hygiene because it's like, well, I might as well go get a shower because <laughs> I need to charge my watch. It's, it's good that it can, uh, it can push you in that direction, too. <laughs> what am I going to do while I'm not wearing my watch? Well, I, I guess I'll get a shower. I, you know, I don't wear it at night, mostly because I have, uh, I suffer from sleep apnea, so I wear a CPAP machine, and I mean, you know, one thing, another thing I don't need is another device on my body. I mean, 
it's like that CPAP machine is is a nightmare to wear to begin with. So, but I I I charge it at night. It's perfectly fine. I turn off all notifications on all devices at 8 p.m. I don't really care if somebody wants to reach me or not. And you know, I mean, if they want to, like, my mother calls me if she needs me. Right? She has a old-fashioned phone, so. I mean, they're the only, my parents are the only people I'm okay listening and hearing from at night because they live in India and the time zone is different. But the watch, I love wearing it all the time. It's on my right hand. On my left hand, I have my Grand Seiko. I mean, you know, call me one of those weird people with two watches, but I wear, I'm wear. i wearing a health sensor and a, and, a, and a real watch. That's how I think about it. So when you do that, do you keep your notifications and stuff on for the Apple Watch, or are you really kind of wearing it fully passively as as a sensor? No, I use like I use the watch for like replying to you know messages. I use the notifications. Like sometimes I get a DM notification from Twitter because I don't really stay logged into Twitter, so I get the notifications on a few few things, not everything. Plus, I check, uh, I use the activity and like, you know, the nudges to stand up and I walk around. I have my activity monitor. Like, I have those uh, notifications modified to my taste. And I, I like it. Like, I mean, like, I'm walking more, you know, I'm standing up more. I'm like, you know, it's like I have a digital nanny now. <laughs> I think I think maybe I need, I need to pay more attention to it. I could use a, a digital nanny in the... Uh ages of, of quarantine. Uh, Dude, you are so young and so skinny, so you don't need that. <laughs> it's, a, it's guys who are chubs like me who need that out. Oh, man. You, you, you haven't seen me since quarantine started, man. It's, uh, it's not, not trending in the right direction here. It's, uh, we're we're going to have to do something about it. But uh, I wanted to talk a little bit more nitty-gritty about the, the product and the, the ecosystem that the product lives in as, as well. Um, since both of you guys are so familiar kind of in the long tail of, of Apple as a company and kind of how they build their suites of products and, and kind of the broader company strategy. And I think how Apple Watch fits into that is, is an interesting thing and a thing that, you know, I, I don't know how many of our listeners know a ton about that. Some may, some may not. But um, the first thing I wanted to talk about is, is the fact that the new, what we're calling the new Apple Watch, right, is, is the Apple Watch Series 6. But there's, there's actually two new Apple Watches. There's the Series 6, and then there's the SE, which is the more budget-friendly, I guess you could call it, option. Um, But strangely, Apple is also leaving the Series 3 in the lineup, which is a little less expensive than the SE. And and I'm curious what what either or both of you think about this new lineup, that we have 6, SE, and Series 3, especially keeping in mind the fact that the Series 3 is is substantively different in terms of, of the hardware from either the Series 6 or the SE. I think it exemplifies the sort of Tim Cook era of Apple. And I know that we're a long way, you know, 10 years into it, really, at this point. Um, uh, compared to the Steve Jobs era, and in this in the previous decade from say 2000 to 2010 and it it kind of breaks neatly on the decade markers really um apple had a lot fewer products you know fewer product lineups and within each lineup fewer products 
and tended to get rid of old ones when new ones came. And if new whatever, new iPods came and you wanted one of the old ones, you better get one quick because they would disappear. Whereas the Tim Cook formula across the line is this sort of introduce new ones at the high end and the mid range and keep older years old hardware at lower and move it down the lower price points. And it works. And I think I, I don't think that I don't mean this as criticism of Tim Cook versus Steve Jobs. I think it's the nature of Apple's incredible growth over that period. I think that what what Apple is doing and and with keeping the Series 3 watch at a 199 price point, which on a percentage basis is a lot cheaper than the 279 starting point for this the i or the watch se you know whatever what's it called apple watch se um that's on a percentage basis it's pretty significant it's uh, i can't do the math in my head but you know it's got to be what 25 percent more or a third more um yeah um it's you know it it gets more people in the ecosystem and i think it's clear when, when apple uses this se name it tends to mean uh, it's somewhere in between product generations and they it means lower price and something that will stay around for a while. And so like when they say it's a series four or a series five or series six, that's like an annual schedule. I think that what we now have is the uh, the SE will be in the lineup for years to come at lower and lower price points. And, that, and by not putting a number on it, it doesn't really make it seem old. It just sort of means this is the SE and it'll be there for a while. And if it gets more people in the door and gets them into the basics of just tracking their health in general with the watch, getting their notifications and some of those ecosystem things like getting into Apple Pay, which for me... I. I Using the watch for Apple Pay in this whole quarantine thing without touching and going places and, and paying and not having to use my phone with a mask on and, and, you know, which everybody knows is a pain. And you just double click the thing on your watch and move it up against the Apple Pay sensor. It, it, that feels like so amazing in a way that it didn't before this whole thing started. So the 199 price point is the main issue. I mean, clearly, that's why the old watch stays around and i think it just speaks to the the reach that apple is trying to get to with with this product yeah i think the other thing we should not forget that there is a lot of 200 dollar watches out there which can be replaced by the apple watch a lot of people buy those 200 dollar watches you know clearly not holding key readers but definitely you know tons of companies have benefited from those low price watches and i think we should keep an eye on the the continuous erosion of fossil as a brand and all these so-called designer watches i think that's the market you know apple can suck in pretty easily this is this is a classic strategy we've seen it before with the iphone but then there is another aspect to this product which is data i think the amount of data they can gather with more devices in the market the better they can educate their their you know the so-called the brains of you know their their AI to keep making you know the the device more useful, you know even though they're doing it with privacy and all those kind of issues uh, at uh, you know as as core of their business strategy, they still learn a lot. I mean, if more people are using this watch, and I think you know the more devices means 
you know, better data for for making better analysis and better research over a period of time. I think there is a huge upside to them trying to expand the footprint of the product. Yeah, that's that that last bit, Om, I think is is particularly interesting is is the idea of expanding the number of people using Apple Watch both to make Apple Watch better and also presumably it's it's to bring people into the Apple ecosystem too. I mean, at 199 that's got to be that's got to be the least expensive piece of Apple hardware since maybe the iPod Shuffle back in the day. Uh, and the ability to kind of get in into the ecosystem at that that level maybe eventually brings people into iPhone. Uh, maybe it gets people subscribing to iCloud, to Apple Music, all of those things. And like that, that's got to be a part of the strategy here, right? Yeah. I mean, the the younger cynical me would also see it as it's a trillion dollar company. They got to keep growing. So they got to suck up money from every every which way they can. And, you right. know. No, that makes that makes a lot of sense. I don't think that's cynical. I think that you know, I'm I'm trying to be more positive about everything these days. So, <laughs> I, I don't I don't know. I don't think there's anything anything inherently negative about that. I mean, like they're they're it makes sense, and it's it's good to kind of call it what it is, I guess. But I, I don't know. One of, one of the takeaways from for me from the the keynote, and I said this in the the little video we produced on Hodinkee, but you know with Apple really hammered home the ways in which Apple Watch is is a gateway to Apple services and to whether they're Apple's in-house services or what you can get through the App Store, which we know Apple also makes makes a nice profit on. But um, you know the the keynote started with Tim Cook running through all the apps he uses on a daily basis on his Apple Watch. Everybody who got up on the sort of like virtual stage, everybody who was a part of this video. Uh, for the watch section was talking about all the things they do, all the apps they use, all the services they subscribe to. And, and I think, you know, with things like fitness plus and the way that the Apple watch integrates with that, which is coming sometime in the next few weeks, weeks and months, uh, the new Apple one subscription service. I, I also, I, I think at this point, Apple Watch is, is a pretty nice anchor to the Apple services and it's maybe incentive for people who are, you know, Spotify users to switch over or people who are using Google Drive to maybe switch over to, to iCloud to just kind of streamline everything. Uh, and to be able to do that with, you know, obviously I'm sure Apple makes a pretty penny on on a $199 watch, but I would imagine that if that gets the customer to sign up for a $999 a month service, uh, that service very quickly outstrips the watch in terms of, of financial firepower, right? I don't know. I guess so. You know, uh, you know, it, it, you can just do the quick math again. And, you know, if somebody subscribed for, you know, $15 a month times 10 months is $150, you know, so what, 180 a year, you're up to almost to the cost of the watch. And that's, you know, presumably the margins are higher on the services than, than the hardware. Yeah. Um, but it's, you know, it's complicated math because, like, they don't own the music and they actually have to pay, you know, for Apple Music. They have to pay the actual artists. and But, yeah, I mean, it's I, I think it's just a general overall strategy of getting people into an ecosystem. And lock-in gets a bad word, you know, and if you, you know, people can be annoyed by it. But it's like sometimes the lock-in isn't like a strategic penalty 
or a trap that's been set, but it's really just, well, if you buy into our version of X, Y, and Z, they just work together nicer, you know, and you're, yeah. you are, you, it does keep you in. And then even if you're not an enthusiast who wants to upgrade their phone every one year or every two years, and you really just want to buy one of these phones and a watch and use it for five or six years until it really is outdated. It still, even in that long range game where you're playing half decade at a time uh, to get the consumers upgrade money, they they don't even think about it, right? That that's they, they think even if they haven't bought a new phone for five years, they think, well, maybe this is the year I'll get a new phone. Everybody's pictures look better than mine. I'll get a new camera. And if they're thinking, which new iPhone should I buy instead of which new phone should I buy or which new Apple watch should I buy as opposed to what watch or, you know, fitness tracker should I buy? That's it. It's obvious. You know, the strategic benefits of that are obvious. You don't have to be a, <laughs> you don't have to be a business genius to see that, that <laughs> if you can get a lot of people thinking that it's, it's a huge benefit. Yeah, to- totally. Um, to to get out of the the strategy stuff, I, I do want to make sure we talk about uh, the the nitty gritty of the the hardware of the Series Six, and and one of the things that comes with the Series Six are the new the new bands. Uh, and John, I know you you've written quite <laughs> quite a bit over the last couple of weeks. You're you're sort of the solo loop uh, whisperer or guru on uh, on the web, but uh, yeah, I'm just curious what you guys thought about about the new bands. Uh, I, I have kind of mixed feelings that I've, I've talked about a little bit before, but uh, I'm curious what your, what your takes are on the new bands. Well, I guess I should go first since I've been told I've, I'm the guru. My wife <laughs> tweeted that uh, somebody was talking about it and she tweeted that you should ask me because apparently that's my new full-time job is measuring watch bands. <laughs> I had to laugh. Um, I, I like them a lot. I think it's a very, you know, I think anybody who's into watches knows how how unusual it is to sell watch straps that are sized so precisely and can't be resized, right? There's certain, you know, rubber watches, you, you know, rubber straps you can buy where you cut them to size and there's, you know, now it's custom fit to you. Um, but this idea that they come from the factory in 12 sizes and, you know, it's subtly, you know, they're about five to six millimeters difference, very small, half a, you know, half, a little bit over half a centimeter between, you know, say a size six and a size seven, you got to get the right one. And that's a really, it just feels like this is something they've been working on for a long time. It wasn't like an idea that popped into their head just for 2020. And in just the way 2020 worked out, it's not the best because it's like buying shoes. You really do want to try these straps on in person and you can't in most of the country in a large part of the world. Cause you can't go places, can't go into stores and just try things on. Right. Um, I I'm enjoying them though. They sent me both of the new ones, the rubber regular solo loop, the rubber one and the braided fabric one. Um, I'm wearing the braided one more, even though I like it less. I find that it, is really really varies you know it again hodinky podcast i can definitely talk about this and everybody will be like yeah yeah i know it's like but your wrist changes size as like your your temperature changes the air temperature changes it's like a, a wristband or a watch band that fits you perfectly in the morning might be tight 
by midday or vice versa. And I find the braided loop is way more susceptible to that where it's like, huh, I, I've bragged on my site about how perfectly this size seven fits me. Now it feels real loose. And then I go to bed and it's like, oh, it's tight and it's left a mark on my wrist. Whereas the rubber one, it feels a little bit stretchier and just feels like it always feels just right. I like them a lot, but I think it's a nightmare logistically for Apple to deal with getting people these sizes when they can't actually try them on. Yeah. Um, have you have you been able to find a good a good fit with the new bands? Uh, I have not tried these two. I the only I have only read about them on John's blog, so or on his tweet stream. Um, I am using the sport band when I when I actually you know wear the watch. I do have a favorite strap, which is from a company called Nomad. They make green leather strap, which I absolutely love. It's very it's very. Uh, you know, it's like your very classic watch like strap and I love I love mm. wearing that. Though I got the blue C D six and the the sport band in blue with the C D six looks so good. I haven't been wearing the nomad strap as much on this one. But I do like how easy it is to to swap out straps on, on the watch. I just you know, I love doing that, you know. But I will now that, you know, John is waxed eloquent about the braided one and the other one i might have to drop some coin on that <laughs> yeah i i really I've, I've been a fan of the the sport band for for a long time it's one of my favorite watch straps period you know if i could if i could throw one on some of my mechanical yeah. watches i i definitely would um but the sport Could i just interrupt yeah for one second i think this the john's point on the on the straps and how long they've been working on we already forgot the Melanie's loop strap, which they did when they introduced the watch. You know, the sportsman. These are little things which we don't realize how well executed they are. You know, I think this is the beauty of Apple. I think sometimes we get caught up in the trillion dollar evaluation and the hype around all the fancy products. It's the things they do for, you know, the little things they do, which no one actually sees that's what makes them a better company than others that's it like that is that that milanese loop strap there is others out in the market which cost like many more you know hundreds of dollars and they don't feel as good as that one does it you know they don't work as well as that one does the the fact that this sports band doesn't make you sweat on your you know on your wrist like have like because we haven't noticed right we don't talk about it and i think that's the the genius of Apple design is that they make you products which you don't really talk about in in like how good they are. We just only talk about when they don't work as as well as they they should because we expect them to be like I just love these straps like whatever straps they do. Just like you know I love the AirPod Pro when they came out. I was like, wow, this this is actually a great product, and I think that is what I, I love about this company is the little things, just the little things, not the ooh-ha, big, big bang announcement, just the little stuff they do is so, so much more exciting for me. Yeah, I, I, I think that's an amazing point. Um, and I, I think, you know, the, the straps are in so many ways, heads and shoulders above what most traditional watchmakers are doing. Uh, and, and we've seen, 
the impact on some of the bigger traditional watchmakers from Apple. I mean, we, we saw after Apple released uh, bracelets that you could size at home. I mean, for how many, you know, dozens of years have, you know, these big, you know, fancy Swiss watch companies been making bracelets and been re-engineering and re-engineering their bracelets. And it took Apple stepping in to say, you know, maybe maybe you should be able to size it at home. Maybe you shouldn't have to go to a jeweler. Maybe if your wrist swells or if the weather changes or whatever and you want one more or one less link, you should be able to do that, you know, with your fingernail instead of needing a tool. Uh, and we've seen brands like, I mean, Cartier introduced it, I guess, about 18 months uh, after Apple introduced it, maybe 24 months. Um, but I think it's, it's, they're not the only ones. And, and I think, uh, the, the easy interchange of bands has also pushed, uh, watchmakers, you know, not even just engineering better bands themselves, but making it easier for people to change them. Uh, because like you said, Om, like, I love the ability to, you know, I go for a run and I have the, the Velcro sport loop on it, but then I want to put the rubber sport band for the rest of the day or whatever, and the ability to do that so easily is is kind of contagious and people love it and people get really excited about it. And the the kind of old traditional players have, have had to adapt. Uh, and I think it's interesting those, you know, people like to talk about our, you know, again, big picture versus small picture, like is the Apple Watch uh, creating a whole new generation of buyers that are going to buy Swiss watches? Is it secretly saving the industry? Like, oh, who who knows? And people love to wring their hands about that. But what people don't talk about is like, did the Apple Watch's bracelet cause a bunch of, you know, 200-year-old companies to say, oh, we never thought of that. Maybe we can maybe we can do this better by looking outside instead of only focusing inside. One of my favorite little things, I know Ohm was just singing the praises of the Milanese loop, which I don't prefer myself, but my wife swears by because she likes a very tight, fit Mm. um and it's because it's infinitely adjustable because it's magnetic it it can be just the way she likes it all day you know including if she has to just do a slight readjustment because her wrist is a little swollen or uh you know the opposite um but one of my favorite little things is they've had that band since they debuted but like a about two years ago, maybe along with the Series 4, they they didn't announce it. They didn't call it like the 2.0, but they subtly changed the design such that the magnetic clasp can't fall through the loop accidentally, like when you take it off. Mm. It's just this subtle little tweak where, where you used to, for the first few years, had to be careful when you took it off that you didn't open it too far or it would go through the loop. And now it stays closed, but just in a big, wide open O, so you can get it off your hand. Um, and it's like, what? they didn't need to do that. It was already a popular premium strap for people who like that look or like that infinitely adjustable magnetic closure, but they still improved it. You know, like, and the fact that they go back and that little things like that bug them and they go and fix them, even on a strap that is obviously not one of the best selling ones because it's, you know, it's, it's expensive compared to the, the sport band type bands. Um, it, but they still go back and fix it. I, that to me speaks to the level of detail and, and that sort of bring your a game rest of the watch industry, whether you're making sport watch, you know, digital watches or 
totally mechanical watches. Yeah, I think that's 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 a really 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 great point. Um, you know, the idea that Apple Apple brings its A game, and like I mean, we we get we get crap from people every time you know, this cycle comes around, you know, every September, oh, you know, Hodinkee only has nice things to say about Apple. Why are they never critical of the Apple Watch? And it's, you know, I think we we are reasonably critical where there's criticism to be had, but I think it it genuinely says a lot about Apple that, like, they they rarely just, like, totally biff it. Like, they, they usually don't come to market with, with something if it's not good and thoughtful and very well considered. I mean, like, I, I can't think of the last time an Apple product came out and I was just, and I thought this was thoughtless or like, how did this happen? You know? Uh, and I, I think there's, there's a lot to be said for that. I think their software sometimes leaves a lot to be desired. You know, mm. the, keyboards on the, about, the, 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 the keyboards, keyboards on the MacBook pros. Yeah. Oh, yeah. you're right. You are absolutely yeah, right. Yeah. I, haven't had to scrape dirt out of my space bar since yesterday. So uh, but that, it shows, shows you how good my memory is. But but it's um, it's sort of the exception that proves the rule where it stands out all the more, right? Like if it had been some other brand like Lenovo, well, Lenovo really has a good reputation for the keyboards, but, you know, Dell maybe, and they had like a, a bum two-year or three-year run of keyboards. People would have complained. It might have been a story, but it really stuck out for Apple because it, it just yeah. seemed so baffling. It was like, how do they, they, they surely know this. Why are they being so obstinate about it? Yeah. No, that's, that's very true. I'm talking about the, the, the straps, you know, in 2015, I wrote a piece called, uh, the should must and Apple's little detail, basically, which is, I was talking about just the strap and like straps, what they were doing with the watch and some of the other things they've done over the years. And I think my conclusion was that this is a company which takes craftsmanship to an industrial scale, which is what makes it different. I don't know whether that will continue forever, but they have taken that ideology of being craftsman, being a, you know, taking an artisan's approach to making mass-produced industrial-scale products. That is what makes them like Apple. I think in my mind, that's what makes them Apple. And the mm. minute you know you start to see them go away from that that probably would be the first sign of alarm bells in my mind because that like that is how i view this company you know a lot of things they do are not perfect you know am i happy about the the app store you know economics and all am i happy about the the keyboard but or the software there are so many issues no i'm not going to you know, deny that there are those problems but my god just you look at the little thing and just say you know respect that's all yeah well, we're we're starting to run out of time here, but I, I want to ask one more question and kind of to close this off. And it's it's the question I get asked more than any other question about Apple Watch, and so uh, I I am gonna punt it to the two of you and and let you give give our our listeners your answers. But uh, the the big question is should should I upgrade? Right? If if you already own an Apple Watch. Or if you're somebody looking for the first time, those answers might be might be slightly different. But I'm I'm curious uh, for for each of you, what what are kind of the yes you should give this a shot and no you shouldn't give this a shot parameters for for the Series Six. My uh, answer to to that question is: if you are 
someone who has uh, health as your priority or you have some you know other uh, medical requirements in which you know you constantly need to monitor your physical activity this is a no brainer you should get it it's it's better than the previous one and as as somebody who has a heart condition and who's diabetic and who has blood pressure problems i love this product period the second thing i would say is if you are not in 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 that category then you can easily go in for the lower price models like the se or the series 3 and you'll be fine john where do you where do you stand on this you you know that i'm obsessed with the always on display and i always was it i i i knew it as i was doing it and until they until they did it last year I spent way too many words every year reviewing the watch, complaining about the fact that the display would go off when you t- turned your wrist away. <laughs> and so, and I, I think for listeners of this podcast, it is as life-changing for me. I mean, life-changing sounds dramatic, but that's how it feels. It just, I, I always say like, it's it just little things. It's just surprising to me how many times I glance at my watch to see the time off angle and I just want to see it. And so if you have one of the ones before the last year's series five and that drives you nuts at all, it is as game changing as you think to upgrade to one that has the always on display. Um, if you have the series five from last year, I would say no, definitely not. In fact, me personally, I'm definitely, I have a series five I bought last year. I, I wouldn't even think about upgrading to a series six because the blood oxygen Thing alone doesn't mean enough to me and even the improved brightness for the always on display isn't a it, it doesn't really change it for me but if you have an older one like i would say you know like if you even it's funny because we talked about the series three still being on sale but if you bought a series three when it was brand new i think it is a very good upgrade i think that about a three-year upgrade cycle on these, if you like wearing it, it gets you a lot. And I think that somebody upgrading from a Series 3 that they've worn for three years will be shocked at how much better the battery life is. I wanted to add one point. Just, you know, I think we didn't talk about it, and I, I, I would be remiss if we don't, we don't, if I don't bring it up. First of all, you know, take John's advice. He knows Apple products better than any other human on the world, in, on the planet. Second of all, you know, we should not just view this as a device. I think as an Apple device or a singular piece of hardware. In reality, Apple device is a microcosm of how technology and humans are going to interface. All these sensors, Apple Watch is the ideal representation of what I've been writing about, which is called sensor view. Our future is all about taking all these sensor inputs, cobbling them together into a beautiful user experience and making it relevant to people, like to our daily lives or to our daily needs. I think that is what is the missing piece about the Apple Watch, that it has given us a template of how we are going to live and coexist with sensors into the future in a more humanistic fashion where privacy is protected, data is protected, and it's still very individual, I, but it's getting there. And I think this is why I get excited about the the Apple Watch Series 6, because it's, it's pointing to a, a, our, our new future with technology. I know, but I, I couldn't let it go because I am that excited about the potential and the future uh, you know, ahead of us. 
No, I, I, I love that. I'm glad I'm glad you brought it up. Uh, and, and we'll link up to the blog post you wrote, uh, Apple Watch's Sensory Overload, um, which I think does a, a pretty good job uh, unpacking that that further. I think people can get a little more of, of what you're talking about uh, from from that story. So we'll link that up in the in the show notes. People can check that out after they're they're done listening. So yeah, thank you. Uh, thank you guys both for joining. Um, I mean, I said it earlier, and, and I, I really mean it, you know, my, my favorite part of going to these events is is the chance to to get out to California and to see kind of everybody who descends on on Cupertino for this, this day long event. And uh, so if we couldn't do it in person, it's nice to get to chat with you and, and get your thoughts here uh, on on zoom and on mic for for everybody to listen to. Well, it was a pleasure. Thank you, uh, Stephen, and thank you, John. It was uh, great to catch up after all these months. Awesome. Well, thanks, guys, and uh, hopefully, hopefully, we can do it in person over uh, over a cup of coffee sometime soon. Deal. <laughs> From your lips to coronavirus's ears. <laughs> I feel like if I say it at the end of every episode, I feel like I can I can will it into being. But I'm hoping 2021 is is better than than what we've been through. So. You and me both. Yeah. Yep. All right. I will see you guys. Yeah. Take care. <laughs>